welcome to the Agile BI podcast, where we chat with guests or sometimes just to ourselves about being agile with teams who are delivering data, analytics, and visualizations. Welcome to another Agile BI podcast. Uh, I'm Shane Gibson. I'm Blair Tempero. And I'm Andy Cooper. Hey Andy, welcome and uh, thanks for joining us. Um, today we're going to kind of have a bit of a chat about uh, business agility and I suppose what what tweaked my interest is as I coach teams, um, I, I've kind of come to a, a view now that there's three types of agility we need to introduce into an organisation. So in the middle we have agile delivery which is pretty much where I'm focused on, on coaching teams about techniques and tools and approaches for doing that with data. Um, underneath at the bottom we kind of have automated operations or DevOps or data ops and, and how we can automate these things so that we don't get the dreaded BAU bleed as we deliver more and more value that we have to maintain. But at the top there's this, this thing called business agility which yeah. is enabling the organisation to to operate in a way that makes those delivery and, and data ops types of teams and approaches successful. Um, and so for me, the easiest way I always explain it is with anti-patterns. So, you know, an organisation where uh, everything has to be signed off as an acceptance criteria by a committee, or an organisation where funding is based on a project budget life cycle, uh, or an organisation where there's a large PMO with program managers, project managers and the Agile team somehow integrates with their fixed view of a roadmap for, for, for a while. So, you know, we hadn't caught up for a long, long time, so when we did, and, and as we talked through kind of what you have moved into in terms of this world of helping organisations understand what business agility is and, and how to move into that paradigm, I thought it would be great to, to have a chat today. So, um, as a way of a background, why don't you tell us a little bit of a, a story or background about where you started, how you got to, to this land of business agility? Sure. Um, I think like a lot of people, I sort of stumbled my way into it over time. Um, and by, um, my first sort of understanding of Agile um, probably was about 10 years ago when I was working at uh, a software company called CA, what I've known as Computer Associates, a big company. I was running a quite a large marketing team, so not an IT, um, I'm an IT user. And one of the things that we did, um, or we owned, was um, the web, which obviously, you know, even 10 years ago was important. So we were rolling out a brand new... Um, uh, website and it was quite a complex thing and the person who headed that up um, decided that we should try and do it a little differently and they had read a book about Scrum and they said why don't we try this so I sort of got my first insights probably about 10 years ago as a user of Agile um, about that sort of whole iterative model um, and it, it seemed to work very well for that type of project and so that sort of gave me a sort of practical insight that you know agile as opposed to the traditional long planning horizons and you know wait to the end and see if it works just you know which I'd seen before many times it didn't work this seemed to you know sort of offer a lot you know from my mind flexibility uh, and the opportunity for a lot more interaction so that as a user at the other end I didn't feel like we were having something thrown at us, we were actually involved in it and therefore it felt like it was something that we could um, use and you know be happy with. 
um, which normally wasn't the case. When we were at the back end of it, it normally had something thrown at us and we were expected to use it and like it. And of course, even if it was good, we didn't. That's the reality of users. Uh, so Agile was seemed to me a m make sense. Um, after leaving CA about eight years ago, I went to uh, SoftEd, so, or otherwise known as Software Education. So by its nature, we teach about we teach people about software. So uh, Agile has been around now for about 18 years. So when I started at SoftEd, we'd already been involved in that space for some time, and we're already doing training, quite a lot of training in, in that space. And um, so I sort of, you know, as head of sales and marketing for SoftEd, I had to sort of quickly get my head around what this was. So there was sort of that need. Um, being a relatively small company, I also inherited the job of CIO for a while. Um, uh, which was interesting uh, and as part of that we were also looking at a new website and we also want to try and develop a couple of, of apps to help you know improve some of the efficiency so thought this would be a good opportunity of, of again putting theory into practice so as a CIO I started to try to make sure that when we develop things that we applied what we taught um, and that again gave me a good practical understanding of Agile, um, you know, as a sort of user and, um, you know, as you know, as a delivery, um, and the technical side of it as well, uh, which is often undervalued. Um, you know, I see a lot of you know what I call sort of fake Agile, which is sort of the veneer of Agile, but in a lot of cases it's just sort of a few ceremonies. Um, you know the trappings of it, so it looks looks shiny like the apple on the outside, but in the inside it's not very agile at all, and that's quite common. But and part of that is that people don't actually focus on, you know, from a software point of view, on actually developing agile using principles that were built for that and put that in mind. The whole XP, you know, which has been around for a long time, and all of the things that surround that were the things that enabled, you know, us to move towards DevOps and all that sort of wonderful stuff. So it was good to see how that actually worked in practice. Uh, and then since that, since then I moved out of that role, but I've now been doing a lot more advising. Um, so as I sort of deepen my understanding of Agile, um, and coming back to my more business focus. So obviously I have a technology background working for technology companies, but I've also been, you know, a business user and marketing and other in other roles. So I look at it from that perspective as well, to sort of how does it help other parts of the business like marketing or finance or other things. And so that sort of attracted me into the whole business agility space, which was taking the principles first and the mindset that that supports that and then how do we apply that in a business context to sort of remove some of the problems that you were well articulated <laughs> before um, to create the agile organization and that's a small a as well um, so that you know we're able to sort of see some of the benefits that you see some of the fast-moving organizations the Netflixes and the Amazons and you know and locally the zeros and you know those sort of companies that have applied some of those principles at the start, you know, and how they're able to grow and respond quickly. So, you know, as I say, more recently I'm doing more advisory sort of thing. A lot of it's now comes back to my sort of real core belief now that, you know, this has got to be a, a, a whole of business thing and the people that will influence that are the leaders. So we need to really lift the understanding of, of agility as a discipline for the leaders. And so that's sort of my personal uh, goal, is to try and help 
the leaders understand what agility means, not agile per se, but agility and how they can help their people and their organisation become more agile. Um, and then within that, apply agile practices within the right context. So are you seeing that, that appetite start to evolve? Are you seeing people at senior roles in organisations now wanting to understand what this small agile thing is, what it means to them? Or is it still kind of in a, a very much an early adopter phase where they still see it as something for IT, something for software, something for your digital transformation project or something that a vendor's going to bring um, that they need to be aware of but not really involved of, I suppose, if you use the analogy of the, the, the pig and the chicken, you know, they might not even be the egg, right? You know, they might just be the farmer watching the animals. Uh, what, what's, what are you finding? Um, I think, you know, it's very, uh, you know, different companies at different stages. So some uh, um, have bought into it in a big way. You know, we've seen some local examples like Spark, you know, has been, you know, sort of um, heavily sort of guided by McKinsey, you know, who have a very clear operating, you know, agile operating model that they're trying to implement. So that's a C-level, board-level, uh, you know, sort of interaction. And so they've got a very deep sort of, you know, focus on it uh, at that level. We've seen other examples, ANZ uh, in Australia, but obviously now in New Zealand as well, where, you know, the CEO has come out and, you know, publicly stated that, you know, they want to become an agile organisation and they're basically transitioning the whole organisation to an agile way of working. So we're seeing, um, you know, we're seeing the whole organisation moved into, you know, cross-functional teams. You know, they're using the Spotify type, you know, tribes and, mm -hmm. and guilds and all that stuff, which again, I think, you know, personally is a little overused, but anyway, they're using that with the purpose of trying to, you know, move, you know, move their people to closer to the customer. Uh, and that's the big focus behind it. So that's big organisations, seeing that with, you know, Spark, I, I know of other telcos in, in Asia that also have done that whole reorganisation of their business to the cross-functional... Vodafone came out and said... Yeah, Vodafone's Vodafone. another one, yeah. Vodafone's another one, uh, Westpac is another one, you know, both uh, in Australia and locally that's doing that. I work with a lot of other banks in, in, in Asia, um, DBS is a very well-known example, uh, Combank I work with in Asia as well. A lot of these organisations are now... Um, you know, sort of going through this. Um, so I think it's some, you could say it's somewhat industry-based, like the banks are probably um, moving faster. And also, um, not all of them necessarily, but, but a lot of them are. Um, and I think that sort of closely follows what, the, what I've seen sort of described as like a disruption index. So the organisations that... Um, that either are currently being disrupted or, or actually um, are aware that they could be um, are probably the fastest to move. The ones where perhaps there's less competition um, uh, and less pressure are probably slower to move. So that's really interesting because I, I, when we worked at a software vendor many, many years ago together, yeah. I remember the, the saying, you're either in e-business or you're out of business. Yeah. And it was the whole idea of, you know, yeah. with dot, dot com before it became dot bomb that, you yeah. know, if you didn't change and adapt, yeah. um, you wouldn't survive. And, and a lot of those organisations actually survived more than the, the dot commas. Um, and so if, if I think about business agility, you know, I was listening to a podcast the other day on it. Um, and, and the, the people talking about it, they, they, they talked about Taylorism, right? They talked about 
Um, the organizational structures we have today have come out of uh, the Industrial Revolution or yeah. when we have factories and yeah. when we wanted to make factories more efficient we trained people in, in specific roles and then as we needed to scale we brought in managers and, and people who at a high level made decisions and we got the hierarchy of decision makers. Um, and the point that we're making in that podcast was you know, to, for those organizations to change is incredibly disruptive. Um, so, you know, I've seen ones where organisations that, that are large and behave that way try to do innovation labs or they try to create a subsidiary. I mean, I suppose, you know, one of, one of the ones, companies I love from a brand point of view in New Zealand's Power Shop, they're owned by Meridian. So you kind of look at it and think, well, obviously Meridian spun off a, a small startup to disrupt the market without disrupting the way they work. But all those ones are out on the sides, right? They're not changing the, the core. Um, part of what that organization is and how it behaves. And then if I apply that, that concept of large organizations with very large hierarchies with lots of decision making uh, who are probably the least able to move towards an agile paradigm, yeah. I, I call banks, right? You know, for me, it's, it's mm -hmm. I've worked with some of those banks mm -hmm. and even though we were doing agile projects and there yeah. or agile ways of working, we were pockets, you know, we were small pockets. Uh, that had to fit into the rest of the organisation. So do you think it's the fact that with the FinSec and all those startups, that the banks are now looking and saying, actually, we, we do have to make a change or the disruptors will disrupt us, you know, they will Uber us, they will Netflix us, and so we have no choice. But if that's the case, there must be, must be turmoil in there to take uh, away an organisation's work with that many people for that long and somehow disrupt it without completely going to chaos. Yeah, well, that's a good point. I mean, I wouldn't say that those any of those organisations find it easy. Um, but I think the other side of that is that, you know, once they've done that, I mean, I know people that work in some of those organisations, and they've moved into cross-functional teams, and it's sort of a hallelujah. You know, we're actually now in a team where we've got everyone together to be able to get something done. We didn't have to go and get five levels of permissions from, you know, from that manager and, you know, fill out ten forms t to do something. We can actually, if we've got a problem, we've got people here who can actually fix it. So, you know, at the grassroots level, you know, they may have been sceptical at the start of it because, you know, I think Agile sometimes can be pushed, you know, too heavily um, without the right understanding or context. But once people sort of realise that this is what it's actually about, it's about, you know, having the group people together that can, you know, react quickly to a customer need uh, and deliver value quickly then they think well about time so I think um, you know that there is always going to be you know when people roll this stuff out concern about change and I think that's partly because we're not very good at doing it and we're not very good at receiving it you know as people um, so one of the big things that needs to happen with this is you know we're starting to see um, sort of more enlightened organizations like Microsoft and I use them as a good case study of someone of you know even though Microsoft you would say is relatively new it's now an old software company like the, you know <coughs> we came from it like Oracle um, and they had their problems uh, but with you know with a really smart CEO coming on board who realized that for Microsoft to survive and thrive needed to really change the way it went about its work and so he has really instilled this whole concept of of agility from a mindset perspective so they have a big focus on 
um, the core principles that underpin agility. So, for example, what is an, an agile mindset or a gro uh, growth mindset using the Carol Dweck sort of terminology? So how do we uh, accept that, uh, you know, we can grow, we can change? Um, and how do we develop the behaviours and the actions that allow us to do that? And when we do that as an individual, then as an organisation, we can respond to changes much faster. So when you start attacking the sort of the things that stop change, the things that stop people moving quickly, uh, then it can happen. So Microsoft is a good example of you know a big organisation, smart and get smart leader, uh, working with you know really good people below that. So he's got a very good HR group that is really looking at this from a you know systematic way. What are all the barriers that stop us from being innovative? So things like, um, and this is some of the common things we see, like what are the HR practices uh, that a lot of organizations have that prevent us from being agile, moving fast, and working as a team? So things like performance appraisals, where those things have often been um, so somewhat punitive in some organizations, you know, they've sort of had the forced ranking. Mm -hmm. Um, which has led to people being fired or you know promoted, um, and then sort of forced in some bell curve. No matter how good your team was, you were forced into that sort of mode, um, and they were an annual painful event. Um, so though a lot of organisations now are moving completely away from that and moving to a much much more dynamic sort of approach. You know, it's about having clear goals at a corporate level. Um, you know the OKR sort of model has become very popular amongst the high growth companies so that's objectives and key result areas um, having clear line of sight of what those are and then you know as an individual and as a team be, you know being focused on them um, and so that comes back to clarity of purpose as well you know that's another key thing that I think a lot of people have lost sight of so what am I here for what is the purpose of the organization and so good leaders really have that provide that clarity yeah, and, and you know, I suppose those examples you used is where it comes from the top, right? Absolutely. Um, and we'll come back to that in a minute, but there's a really interesting one in there that, that you mentioned that, that I've never actually heard myself before, which is what I kind of picked up on is, uh, yeah, it's coming from the top and it's yeah. saying it's a culture change, which yeah. we know is hard, but actually what, what they sound like they were doing is, is taking more of a lean approach to processes but not naturally going after the manufacturing type processes, not how we build software or how we you know, service an account, actually looking at the processes that will stop a culture change happening. Yeah. So actually being quite inwardly focusing, saying what internal processes do yeah. we have uh, where we need to take more of a lean approach and remove totally. wastage. Yeah. Absolutely. Why, and, and why do we do an annual review every year? Yeah. Like, you know, just because. Well, exactly. Uh, I think, um, you know, like we talk about innovation a lot, you know, the innovation economy, innovative organisations. So one of the key aspects of innovation is to allow people to think, which is really where innovation comes from, you've got to remove, you know, remove the practices and the thinking that creates waste. So, you know, some really good research has been, you know, coming out recently, which has shown that, you know, for average knowledge worker, which is, you know, a lot of us are, we, we probably only spend a maximum about 20% of our time doing valuable knowledge work. The other 80% is actually doing sort of tasks um, without any specific outcomes in mind. I'm not saying these things are not always are not always important, but they're not always the most important. Mm -hmm. So part of this is to try and develop that sort of lean approach to work, you know, which is, you know, by clearly understanding what 
where my value is to the organization and, and how our organization creates value, then I try and figure out, you know, pro, like in the agile sense of prioritization, what's my own backlog? You know, how do I prioritize what I do? Do I really need to attend that meeting? Um, um, do I need to block time out of my schedule to get knowledge work done rather than just be available all the time, yeah. which is what part of the issue. So have you seen um, organisations um, sort of bring out agility in the business in other ways? And what I mean is that you start with your traditional agile, um, your, um, you know, your development shop. Yep. You bring in product owners, you train them how yep. to um, act as product owners and, and represent the business. And then, then it spreads out rather than the top approach? It, Have you seen that succeed? No, no. 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 Short answer is no. And it, it's not that it can't, um, it succeeds to a point. But there's, it's sort of like this, then the antibodies of the rest of the organisation swarm around this, this agile thing. Um, so, you know, I, I think like everything, you're only as good as the weakest piece. So goodness will still happen. And, and being organic is good from the sense mm -hmm. that people see the value of it and want to do it, um, but it's got to be embraced through and through. Yeah. So that, because, you know, again, what, what I've seen happen is that, you know, that may happen, but if we don't, if we're not looking at our HR policy, we're not looking at our finance policies, you know, to move away from this big bang, you know, multi-year project to a much more investor-like, you know, sort of funding model, then you're not really agile. And this is part yeah. of the, what, what I see happening time and time again. There's sort of like these anti-patterns that will come in and swarm around. Um, and one of the common things I keep hearing from my customers is, this is all very well, but you know, you need to talk to my manager, or you need to talk to finance, you need to talk to procurement, you need to talk to HR, you need to talk to this, this, and then the other. And so this is what happens. You know, it can happen, but it happens slowly. Yeah. Um, and it'll still stop at the weakest point. Yep. So if the finance chief doesn't, get it and doesn't want to change, yeah. then that remains the bottleneck. So or yeah. or so, if the so manager doesn't want some, to change... Then some value, but yeah. not so as we've much seen, um, We've seen stand-ups pop up around the, yep. the mm -hmm. organisation and they think, you know, because we've been doing Agile for three years, that yep. that's all it's all about. Yep. And they will have their morning stand-up, everyone would have a say, and then they'd go back to... Um, yeah, doing the same stuff. So, and what I say to people is, stand-ups have value, right? Yes. Uh, to, to, communication. To have communication on a daily basis about what you're doing, or even just how you're feeling, is valuable, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's better than totally doing it once agree. a week, right? It's better than going into a room for two yeah. hours and having somebody talk at you for two hours, not yeah. actually ask the team to talk to themselves. So, yeah. stand-ups have value, but stand-ups are not agile. As long as you're not under the um, the notion that you're you've got business agility. Or even agile delivery, right, because yeah. you don't. Um, I suppose one of the things I always struggle with is, um, you know, the majority of the organisations I work with, I get brought in to, to coach uh, delivery team. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things, you know, before I start that work, I, I kind of talk through with the stakeholders is how much business agility there is. And, um, yeah. and often I get, yeah, yeah, we're doing transformation or we're going agile. Uh, and and you know what I know is that um, that if there's not a business agility process going on, one of the first indications we get hit with is we never get given a product owner, right? We we don't or we get a, 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 a proxy product owner or an absent product owner, 
Um, because for HR can't, you know, the HR processes, you know, they can't come and work with your team for for full time for three months because that's an FTE shift. Um, and so there's a whole lot of, you know, uh, organisational issues around, around that. Um, so what I say to them is, um, there is value in doing agile delivery, right? We will get value, we will get better, it will be better than not doing it. Yep. But we won't get the whole benefit until that's solved. And the second thing I've learned is that if there's not what I call my agile umbrella, right? If there's not a person above that delivery team who has mana or, or is senior enough in the organisation to, I think what Elia called it, you know, to stop shit flowing downhill, right? You know, um, if that's not in place, then actually uh, we often fail uh, because we're not safe. You know, we have we, somebody can fly in and fundamentally disrupt and change the way the team are behaving and working, and not allow them to fail safely, iterate their own behaviour. Yeah. Um, so for me, that's kind of, you know, I'm still not at a stage where I've been lucky enough to go into an organisation that has true business agility and yeah. and and um, and work from there. But I've got a bunch of kind of non-negotiables now, which yeah. is if I don't see the the agile umbrella, yeah. um, then really. We're all going to be unhappy at the end of this, so it's not not worth my time and not worth their money. Do you find that? Do you, I mean, you're obviously lucky enough to go in at the right organisations at the right level and help them on that journey rather than down at that delivery phase. Yeah, but it's still, you know, I'd say, you know, in your case, the umbrella at the moment, for most of the people, it's a little umbrella. Yep. Uh, it needs to be much bigger. Yep. Um, you know, and that's just the reality. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely, I think that's normal. Um, for a lot of organisations, um, but I think the challenge in this is that uh, this is an organisational-wide um, change program um, that they're trying to do. It's not an agile transformation or digital transformation. It may be directed towards digital technology or whatever, if that's where they're going to get their competitive advantage. But to become a digital culture, which is really another sort of part of it, is a, quite a massive undertaking. Um, you know, and it requires a, a lot of discussion, you know, and a lot of thought to do it well, because it's all very well to saying we're going to move to cross-functional teams, but, you know, that's going to disrupt a whole lot of people's lives. Um, you know, people who have built their careers around being functional managers and what are the, what's their role going to be, you know, and if we don't think that through and we don't provide them opportunities to, to grow and then... The, the outcome of that, in my view, is always that they'll either actively or passively resist it. Um, and we get this concept that's sort of pejoratively known as the frozen middle, um, where a lot of middle managers, you know, which as Shane and I, you know, I talked about, yeah. you know, they're actually, the middle managers are actually super important. If you want to get innovation and deliver innovation, they're the ones that will enable or disable it because they're the closest to customer. So, if you think about it, you know, by leaving them out, we're actually probably not going to actually achieve what we want. So really focusing on a lot of effort. I mean, we've got to have the top support. Um, we've got to have the people on the, on the ground doing it. But if you don't put effort into that middle layer to help them be the ones that, that actually do this, um, then you're not going to get the fast returns. You're not going to get real agility. And they're supplying the resources to the sprint exactly. teams too. Exactly. So, well, so if, they, if they're seen as, if they are treated, you know, as part of this and provided the opportunity to grow, you know, to help them learn what this means, because this is quite a big shift in what they've done. So, 
we've you know really got to retrain them around what is the role of a leader or manager in, in an agile organization it's a much different type of role than what they may be used to yeah so if we think about it what what you know if you think about the, the whole goal of the team is to you know deliver value fast so if I'm a manager what am I trying to do I make make that team do that or help them do that and that's not tell them what to do that's get out of the way somewhat but provide the clarity about purpose you know and try and remove the things that this is what you know being the person that you know shields them from some of the other stuff or goes and unblocks the issue with finance or wherever else that's the role of an agile leader is to help them make sure they understand what the purpose is so be clear about what they're there to do and you know make sure they, they, they do that but then remove the things that prevent them from delivering the value fast. So where I'm at at the moment, because you, know, you kind of go, you go, you've got a, a team lead, you've got a manager, right? So yes, yes, I need an agile umbrella, but really yep. that's a that's a temporary role until the organisation has business agility, right? Yep. That, that umbrella role is consumed by many other roles in a in a organisation that's been through the change. Wouldn't there be a lot of well-trained, skillful product owners. Yeah, who, who, as Andy said, you know, who found an impediment and helped the team unblock it, right? Yeah. But where I'm at at the moment is, is the way I articulate it is that, you know, that instead of being a, a manager or a leader, there really is two roles you can, can assume. One of uh, a coach and one of pastoral care. So um, pastoral care for me is, is, you know, your role is to work with people yeah. to make sure they're happy, safe, yeah growing, right? You're, you're there as, as, as pastoral care, right? You're there to make them successful in yep. their personal and their work life and that's and they need that safety because especially in a scrum, you know, when you, we, we call it a sprint, you know, but really it's a sprint, a marathon of sprints, right? Um, it's a slog. And it it's it's a, slog, a slog, right? And you know, so you it's need unrelenting that. in a way. Yeah, isn't it? it is unrelenting. That's so the thing, I mean, I don't, it's not easy. You know, every two weeks you, you're, yeah. you're up you know, yeah. you're up to deliver something, yep. and that's it's pretty tough. Yep. It's tiring. Yeah. So you yeah. need that pastoral care, right? You need somebody yep. that's not part of that delivery cycle that you know is going to look after you, help yep. you look after your health and well-being. Yeah. Um, and so what that leaves is yes, we have a scrum. If we're running scrum, we have a scrum master, right? We have somebody that helps the team iterate and unblock and yep. run ceremonies. But we need those coaching roles, right? We need yep. the people that can look at where the organisation's going and help the organisation and the teams kind of get better. Um, from your point of view, is that have you seen any other ways of articulating what that? I love that frozen middle. That's a, that's a great term. I'm stealing that one. Um, you know, how can we make the frozen middle kind of have a purpose in life? Because those roles are really important. Yep. And and we yep. don't need to fly in new people. No. Right. We just need to help people morph what they do to one. In my head to one of those two roles that they're good at. Typically, I'll see a person as typically a good coach or typically they're good pastoral care. Have you seen any other type of roles off your top of the head that you would be able to articulate? I think those are good. I mean, those are good sort of descriptions you know, in a way. Um, so, again, if you think for like a functional manager, so let's just say that in a traditional software team, we've got devs, we've still got some testing, and we've got you know product owners and you know and scrum masters. So. Um, and they're sort of more of those sort of agile organizations. They're still typically a, a line manager for those different areas. And and they are more in the pastoral sort of sense, but not, you know, just, you know, they're thinking about what's the needs of, so how is that, you know, guild or whatever you want to call it, how do we make sure that we've got, you know, we're keeping up with the skills and, you know, and, you know, and looking out for the things that are preventing us as a team. So, yeah, those things, 
that's a pretty important role. Yeah, um, I don't, I hate but to it's lose not, it. But it's not about, you know, the difference there is not like, well, they're my team member and, you know, you can't have them, you know, and, um, which has tend to be, you know, how it's sort of still is to a large degree in mm-hmm. a lot of organisations. It's, yeah. um, you know, that sort of ownership uh, and then f- people fighting for resources. Um, or you have the people, which still can have to happen sometimes, but... You know, we're the you know they're spread across a number of teams, um, and and that you know again that's a reality. Some organisations not big enough to have you know a product owner for every team. You may have to have that. So again, we don't think we can be too pedantic about some of this stuff, but mm-hmm. but we need to be realistic about what the, that compromise might mean. Because um, you're still going to have data standards that your organisation wants to yeah. data governance. Um, totally. Best practice. Yeah, um, and and so there's you know you're using the words I hate. Mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I they're it important things, but the words that come with those, those yeah. words come with a whole lot of committee best, best behavior yeah. or yeah. default. I just, I just, I'm getting yeah. I, well, the, it's a, I mean, there's a lot of an unagile or um, you know thinking that comes with that sometimes, and it's you know we're trying to create. Uh, you know, again, we think. Well, what drives that? What drives that is that humans hate being criticised or punished, or you know, we avoid that stuff, right? So, if we think about a lot of the organisations that we probably work in, um, they're not safe organisations. So, government organisations are not safe. Mm-hmm. We have the public, you know, who who get jumps up and down about any expenditure that's not, you know, wise in their eyes, um, and we have politicians that will. Um, change their minds uh, and also you know argue with each other and uh, and put a lot of pressure on so government organizations by their own nature are not going to be safe to fail so that creates almost by its nature that, that what sits around it this sort of behavior so it's hard you know because we can't change the mindset of politicians and you know the taxpayer sort of mindset overnight um, you know and that's the, the thing that makes government somewhat different than perhaps commercial organisations where a board of directors and the management can say, well, this is what the culture of the organisation is and this is what we want to be. Um, they still have the stakeholders, they still have the shareholder groups and all the other people, but um, you know, there's sort of different pressures in government perhaps. So it's not easy things. Um, but I think what we're seeing in, in, other, in places where they're really ad- adopting the agile mindset, um, we try and move away from think big to think small um, and you know and acting quickly so that's what I talk you know as to me sort of agility is like um, not thinking big um, you may have a bigger vision about or you know you may have to have a bigger vision about what you're trying to achieve and it might take a while to do it but then do it in small chunks quickly um, and that's not in the DNA of a lot of organizations so we've got to break that down and and I think when that's done, because there are big organisations doing that now, so maybe they're not all in the government, but I know some government organisations that are, it's possible. You know, big banks that, you know, have huge amount of scrutiny and financial regulations and massive fines that get it wrong, are able to do things in an agile way. So if they can do that, so can um, so can any organisation. Yeah, it's, not, it's just not about startups anymore, right? Not at all. No, it's about, a, it is about a mindset. It's about, let's... Um, you know, if we really want to become a fast-moving organisation, we need to, you know, look at it holistically, mm-hmm. treat it that way, and then figure what are the impediments to stop that. Uh, and it becomes a, an organisational 
business-wide, um, whole whole of business sort of focus, not just a little piece that's stuck in delivery and agile. Yeah, or I think you know one of the things you said, right? You're not doing a digital transformation project that happens to be implementing agile. You might implement a agile culture and an agile mindset. I like the agile mindset actually. That's, that's quite a nice term. So you're going to implement an agile mindset, which yep. is a culture change, which will take time, and you may use your digital transformation program. Yep. will change as the first cab off the rank exactly. to start that journey. Yeah. Um. So so if you get approached by CEO, right? So yep. CEO of an organisation gets the the, the the new job, right? Yep. And they rock up and they look at it and they go, I come from a, an agile mindset background. It's worked for me before. Yep. This organisation can't, you know, it doesn't collaborate, it doesn't communicate, it doesn't yeah. change, it can't iterate. Um, and they approach you and says, right, we, we want to make this change, you know, here's my lead team, yep. um, you know, rather than get rid of them and bring in all the people I know, you know, uh, which which is an approach, right, because yep. actually as much as I've never liked that behaviour, if you think about it, bring the people with the mindset and then it will naturally cascade through the organisation over time. But, but say they're not going to do that, and they say, cool, here's the, you know, maybe because of your marketing background, right, here's yep. the chief marketing officer. Yep. What what would you say to them first, you know, when you're working with them and you're explaining the concepts, I'm yep. assuming first, giving them a yep. bit of a framework of the, the words, the terminology, and, yep. and giving them a safe place to look dumb um, and ask those things um, in a safe way. What would you say next to them? What, what, what do you tend to, every customer's different, of course, but... What would you say is the first thing to do, try? Well, I think the first thing is to define a happy with what the, with way things are. You know, because again, we know from you know any sort of change through that if people don't believe there's a need to change, then they're not willing to do it. So we've got to sort of start with the sort of beliefs, and we've got to start with the facts. You know, at a, from a business perspective first. So, you know, what is it about the current you know, our current organisation or the current way we're doing things that we're not happy with. Um, you know, is it speed to market? It takes too long from an idea to, a, to an outcome. So what is that? Like, you know, and be quite specific about some of this stuff. So let's find out how long does it take, you know, so start gathering some information to build some facts around the current state. So I think that's part of it as well, is that we've got to start from a business base. You know, at the end of the day, these are business people and they're, they're making business decisions. So start from that, not start with Agile or anything else. They don't care about that. You know, they want to really understand about what, what, how do I grow my business faster, or how do I improve the efficiency, or whatever the problem is. But let's focus on those problems um, and look at what we're trying to actually achieve um, as the first step. Then, once we've sort of got clarity on what we're trying to do and where we're currently at, we can start looking at let's try some different approaches. Um, we would always start with. Um, suggests we start small because there's two ways of looking at it. Some people say go big, you know, go big, go hard sort of thing. Uh, and or you sort of um, start small and then sort of expand out. So I think whenever people say go big, go hard, there's um, a huge risk involved in that uh, because we don't really know. There's a lot of unknown unknowns in there. So we would always suggest that we want to start small just to sort of figure out what works and what doesn't in our organisation mm -hmm. um, and then use that as a way of so incubate that sort of so make it quite you know set up for success um, but it's like a lab we, we're doing that with the purpose of, of experimenting to see 
what works and what doesn't in our organization and what are the barriers and you know the, the good things that happen and the bad things as well and, and embrace those from the point of view that that's realistic and real uh, but we then have a sort of backlog of items that we know we're going to have to start addressing when we if we scale it up mm -hmm. and if we haven't addressed some of them then we might slow down but we can should move at the speed of you know that we that that's realistic I think the key part then is um, so have a business focus start you know small or in a small area test and learn from that um, and we've also got a lot of communication mm -hmm. um, on the why not right. the how a lot mm -hmm. of people talk about agile is the how yeah. you, know, you know learn scrum we're going to do data no that's not important people and that really doesn't matter it's why are we doing this first the need for change is the first thing we've got to get then the how has got to be context based so again a lot of mistakes I see is that people start with scrum you know scrum some people think scrum equals agile mm -hmm. well it isn't you know it's one popular flavor of agile um, that's widely adopted but it's also very has a whole bunch of premises that are quite difficult culturally for people to adopt mm -hmm. so it's sometimes can be the hardest thing you can do so that's good if you want to test that but not necessarily if you want to get success so we should go in with a mindset of what's the right set of practices that that support whatever we're trying to do so if there's another set of agile practices whether they're you know formally within the software or not we would look to adopt those so it could be kanban or something oh, like that and, and so you know what, yeah, what, what i coach exactly. teams on is you know create your own agile bi way right take yeah. valuable practice which is the word i like to use now um so take patterns right yeah we, like yeah. Uh, one of the teams i'm working with right now we're just experimenting with peer programming from XP, right, yep. uh, to to change some things about the team and the way they're behaving together. Uh, it, it's, yes, there's a little bit around the quality of the code, but actually that's not the reason we're experimenting with it. It's yep. to solve another problem. Um, you know, often taking some lean or some Kanban <coughs> approaches, uh, or you know, using more of a flow-based Kanban approach, but adopting some of the Scrum ceremonies exactly. right? or release train or those kinds of things. Is Scrum ban, you know, again, it's context-based. So let's yep. look at what we're trying to do and figure out the, the approach that's most likely yep. to succeed. Sometimes we might start with one pattern, you know, one set of things first. If it doesn't work, we, we adapt. But but I think where a lot of organisations um, get stale is that they don't they just stay on their training wheels you know which whatever it was and don't don't move forward yeah. that's not agile agile is you know is in, in, inspecting and adapting using terminology and figuring out better ways of working which means that we're going to keep borrowing new ideas because you know agile is in its 15 17 years now has come up with lots of new ways of doing stuff and, and so, the organization innovates on things that work better yeah. for them mm. i suppose when i when i look at that um so that's that, you know, use the patterns that yep. make sense to you right now and adopt and change them over time. Um, the bit that I'm missing, and I yep. think it's kind of made me realise this, is I'm always focused on the how, right? Yep. Uh, I've intrinsically, because I've been hired yep. to coach, there is a why. Yep. But I've never really um, articulated that, yep. right? And so what one of the things I've learned over time is that, you know, because of... Normally, it's an agile delivery team who are first or second in the organisation yep. to start the journey. Yep. Um, we actually need to start creating collateral that explains to the organisation what we're doing, right? You know, a, a pitch deck, a whatever you want to call it, yep. but a way of describing this is the way we're working, this is the processes, we're, approaches we're taking. 
Um, and so the why is to keep focus but, on but, the why. But the, yeah, the thing I've, I've kind of just realised is we never have a slide at the beginning of why. No. Why yeah. are we doing this change? Why, well, why, if we can't vision workshop and we've got the... Yeah, but that's, that's for our delivery cycle. So we do a yeah. vision workshop of... Um, that's the vision for the project or the project. Yeah, yeah but not, not the vision for the team in the first place. So, okay, so coming into the workshop with that yeah. statement already... Well, no, no, just about the whole process. So yeah. so normally, as I said, you know, there'll be an agile umbrella. There'll be somebody who's who's willing to spend the money for me to come in and coach the team. Yeah. Yeah. And we've had a conversation on why they want this change to happen. Yeah. But what we never do is we never write that down. We never articulate amongst the yeah. team or even definitely outside the team why are we adopting a completely new way of working? Let's is it, do it because we want it to be faster, safer, cheaper, yeah. more fun? You know, if, if you see faster, safer, cheaper, you know you're yeah. in trouble, right? Because <laughs> uh, you know that yes, you might get that eventually, but for the first year, you're, you're going to get an anti pattern for those three. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's not safer for the team. It, at the beginning, we're learning how to work and new ways of working. It's yeah. definitely not faster. Um, and maybe it's cheaper because you're you're fixing the cost. Of, yeah, yeah. Of less, the team. I mean, the, you um, should get if you're doing it well. You the the cost. You know, there's sort of good cost curves that show you this as well. So you know, the start point it's not going to be cheaper, um, but where you get the big savings or should get the big savings is further down the track when you know the cost of rework uh, or the cost of work that shouldn't have been done, um, and yeah. that's. And that's where a lot of cost, hidden cost comes into a lot of traditional waterfall projects is, you know, all the defects that come in and we've fixed them at the end, or the huge waste that's come in from features that people said they needed they didn't really need. Or well, the descoping of the yeah. critical hard things that whatever, actually would have taken too long to deliver. So yeah. that's the, yeah. the hard value. But that, some of that stuff's hard to actually, you know, it's not easy to actually put a dollar and cents mm -hmm. thing in. But, but I actually say that actually the real value of Agile is, is actually in speed to value. It's about, you know, if we're thinking in small, you know, the MVP type things, but, you know, real MVP, um, it's about how quickly can I deliver something, you know, to meet a customer need. Mm -hmm. And that is the speed of, of Agile is having that mindset that's, that constantly works in that way. And so the real value is, is in that, you know, the cost of delay, minimizing some of that yep. by actually getting and learning, you know, because we might stop it as well when we realise that actually that wasn't a problem that customers really cared about. Actually, that cost of delay is a term that I kind of picked up on a podcast a little while ago, and I kind of yep. like that again, right? It's, it's the yep. cost of doing nothing. Exactly. Right? So so if we take six months, you yep. know, there's a cost of doing that, but if we deliver something really early in four weeks, three weeks, you know, then there's five months and one week yep. of using it, right? And so the cost of delay for that small piece of functionality or that small piece of value uh, should be able to be quantified hard. It's yeah. harder, but that's the stuff that we need to yeah. get. You know, when we're starting to look at business cases, we're starting to look at that. That's the the value of agile is is actually being able to quantify some of that stuff, and make business decisions about, you know, again, get good at um, not focusing on what we add, but what we don't add as well. So, lean thinking should apply to software too. You know, if we think about that's exactly what Apple's done. You know, in there, is that they've really thought hard about removing stuff, um, not adding stuff. You know, otherwise we end up with those hideous remote controls that, you know, that came about and you know from the old VCRs. I'm looking around for <laughs> where you've got you know, because someone said it we add another button. Yeah. Um, well we as software developers do the same. And the actual essence of a lot of, of agile thinking is is less is best. Um, that creates, you know, the simpler it can be the better, the faster 
Or, or the artist saying no, you know, the number of yeah. times I'll start with a team and they're trying to deliver three products. And I'm like, you've only got capacity to deliver one. Well, but so that, and the lean thinking, you know, Kanban thinking, yeah. the work in progress, sort of getting more disciplined about not taking on too much. Um, you know, again, that's all part of this as well. So that's why this is a big topic. It's a big area. It's um, There's a lot of aspects to it. Mm-hmm. To actually get agility requires a focus on a lot of this stuff. But it's not... You shouldn't, therefore, it's because it's hard or it's complex, shouldn't start. You should, but I think where I come back to is let's start from a business perspective to try and understand what we're trying to do. So what is it about the current setup that's not working? And treat it as that. So we've got the clear why. And then figure out, you know, tackle the biggest problems first. Um, and then figure out what's the appropriate practices. So with the right mindset, we know why we're going to change. We know that we're going to have to change. Um, get some good advice about change as well, because this is a massive change yeah. thing. You can't avoid it, so you need to get good at. When I say managing change, that sounds almost like you, you know, being manipulative, but actually, you know, introducing change and getting people comfortable with it and becoming that as as part of the organisational DNA. Ripping pastoral care around change and communication. Well, exactly. Yeah, communicating. Yeah. Communication is the one thing you can't really skimp on. You know, if you do, it sort of costs you at the end. And it can't be, uh, it's got to be more of an agile approach to communication. It can't be once a month we're going to send out a newsletter. No. No. It's like it's got to be, you know, multiple channels, just in time, right, you know, different ways for me to consume it that fits my communication, collaboration style and my my valuability. A lot yeah. of it's just, it is, you know, it's like the, you know, um, forums, so just giving people the opportunity of having interaction. Of, yeah, demo days exactly, the biggest yeah. comms we, we try to do. Yeah, yeah. So yeah well, the demos, and have a look. Um, exactly, but, but it's just interaction, you know, if you want to have people embrace stuff, at least give them the opportunity of understanding it, yeah. um, voice their concerns, so you know in advance what they are, um, and then you've got a strategy for dealing with those. No, and then come back to, if, if there's not an agile mindset at the top table, uh, then your chance of having business agility is a lot harder. However, you still can have you know agile capability, agile totally. delivery and, and agile automation and operations, which has value, right? It just totally. means you won't reach you know, the, the true potential of that organisation. Um, yeah, and, and I think I've seen a really, I saw a really interesting presentation from a guy who used to head up the head of agility at Barclays. So they're a big organisation, you know, 350-year-old organisation, 120,000 employees, so massive big organisation. And they're actually quite an impressive case study in, in agility, you know, and they've done a lot of, you know, smart things across the business to, to help them become an agile business. But, but he sort of presented their PMO. You know, again, you sort of talked about that as, mm-hmm. as a negative thing, but their PMO's journey from the traditional controlling, you know, budgets and, you know, policing of things to, um, to, to a guardian of value is really one of the things that they sort of... And so they help the organisation understand how do you value things um, and how do you build cases that help people understand that because I don't think we're very good at it, and then how do you measure it um, so we start having building this language of value in the organisation, um, and, and part of that shift is moving away from big thinking big to thinking small. So you'll get funded like a VC does, you know, in small stages yeah. to, you know, prove an idea, um, a lightweight business case, prove it, and then you know once you've delivered proof, you get more funding, and so it keeps going in that sort of iterative model, not in a B 
big bang. But it also means that when you ask the next round of funding, you know more. You can answer more detailed questions because you've done some work. So I'm not against, so I, I just don't like the word PMO, Project Management Office, right? Because it comes with a whole lot of project management behaviour. Yep. If it was called the Agile Coaching Office or yep. the Change Coaching Office yep. or the Delivery Coaching Office, yeah. it was called Coaching Office. Because yep. for me, having a, a, a group of people who's, yep. whose job or whose role it is to coach different parts of the organisation and, and how to do this well yep. with lessons learned is... is yeah, apart from putting me out of the job, it, it's, it's valuable, right? Yeah, it's just, totally. as soon as you say PMO, you, it comes with a whole lot sure. of baggage, right? Sure. Uh, and, 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 and some of those are changing. You yeah. know, like, for example, um, uh, they will do change their title over time. Right. Re Realise that, A, projects, we don't really want to be doing many projects. Mm -hmm. So that sort of model, you know, there's the whole no project sort of philosophy. Um, and that's more constant, you know, so it's more product-based or service-based and more continual sort of, you know, sort of changes to those rather than the, you know, one project the team gets disbanded and we lose all the knowledge and off we go. So that sort of notion of project mentality has started to change um, Good. to more continual sort of consistent teams that work on something over time. Um, but they may start as a project, so going to, we're still going to have some element of that that's okay, um, but not as a business construct right. in the same way that we see it now. So some of those organizations are now re renaming themselves, I mean, there's different terminology, but I've seen like value delivery office. So that's quite a nice term that's about value delivery. Mm -hmm. you know? So that's their focus is on you know, helping the organization deliver value, which is ultimately something you can't really say is, shouldn't be what we're, what we're about. Um, so that's happening. You know, we're, we're working with clients that that's exactly what they're doing. They're transforming themselves from that, from that to the to be. Right. But this, you know, these things take time. Um, I mean, that's one thing that I would also put is that if I look at the sort of lifespan of a lot of these organisations, you know, for a big organisation to to become an agile organisation is a multi-year. And, and that requires discipline and it requires support from the board and from the, uh, uh, you know, a CEO that's got a really good agile mindset uh, and then sort of working it through the organisation. So, and that takes multi-years. It doesn't, it isn't going to be one of those that happens overnight things. It definitely is a multi-year thing. Um, how many years is a function of, you know, the type of organisation. As I say, I think government are going to be more challenged in some ways because of the political and other things. Um, and the, you know the, you know the speed of it is largely going to be governed by the, um, you know the, the, the ability to change the mindset of the organisation and the people within it. But also going to speak to what you said before: why are we making this change? Therefore, what does success look like? So, yeah. it's never going to stop, right? If, no. if actually they become an agile business, they're no. going to iterate, they're going to change, they're no. going to consistently look at how they determine and yep. add value, yep. but there's a point where you can go, we've made the tipping point, right, we're for the, the why, the things we yep. wanted to change, yep. we've changed them enough that we can call that as meeting our success or acceptance criteria. Um, you know, just looking at time, I mean, I'd, I'd love to deep dive on OKRs <laughs> because it's one that I'm starting to research at the moment that yep. I don't have a lot of experience on, but yep. uh, I, I keep hearing it, yep. um, so that might be another session. Um, yep. But cool. just before we close out, so if somebody wanted to get hold of you, software ed, find out what you guys do, kind of approach you because they have come in with an agile mindset and they need to, to make a change and they've agreed that it's not an overnight uh, 
uh, thing? What's what's the best way for people to get hold of you? Um, I mean, they can contact me at softair, so andyc at softair.com. I happen to have a chat. You know, I, I mean, I see part of my role um, as sort of an evangelist for this somewhat. You know, again, I'm just trying to help, you know, organisations and individuals embrace these ideas, um, but hopefully in a, you know, in a way that makes sense as well. It's not, I'm not trying to shove Agile down their throats, um, you know, say you need to do Scrum, We'll start with the first principles first. So, but I'm ha- always happy to talk to people uh, about how, you know, uh, you know, I can, you know, share some ideas on things that I've seen work. I work with a lot of different organisations around the world, and I'm happy to share my insights about what I've seen working and not um, to anyone. So and I think that's one of the things when we talked a while ago that I found really cool was that you you basically the majority of your work is remote. You're, yeah. you're coaching business stakeholders remotely on how to make this change yep. uh, which, which is awesome you know um, that actually you know, based here in sunny Wellington uh, yeah. you know you can go and, and global domination is the goal um, so look that's great uh, I have actually figured out how to put uh, stuff on the podcast when I publish it now so yes. I'll add links to, to the details to, to cool. how to get hold to you right. but Hey, look, thanks for that. That's, um, as always, we probably could talk for another hour yeah. or two and yeah, we might exactly. get back again. Yeah. Um, but look, We're happy to really talk about OKRs. That's yeah, a very topical yeah. thing. OKRs are topical for me at the moment. So, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, once Blair's heard about them, I'm assuming it's going to be topical yeah. for him. I'll, um, uh, I'll ask about them shortly. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I can put you some good stuff. Um, yeah. there's so, a, a, I'll, I'll send you a, a, a really nice short little guide on them. That I can well, we might, wait. we might get you back for a, another podcast on OKRs cool. and, and spend a good 30 minutes talking about those and, and do it that way because, uh, like I said, they, they seem to be a good, uh, valuable pattern. Right? I think that's part of the, this is part of the answer. It's like everything, there's no answer. There's a series of things you can do and the OKRs fit in, the, in helping people to align to the purpose and give you a line, you know, line of sight on how is what I'm doing aligned to what the business is about, and you know, and that helps me feel good about yep. what I'm doing. That's cool. All right, so we might catch it, wrap it up there. So yep. uh, we'll catch you all later for the, for the next one. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Right, Thank thanks. you. Thanks for the opportunity. Cheers. You've been listening to another podcast from Blair and Shane where we discuss all things Agile BI. For more podcasts and resources, please go to agilebi.guru.